Father in heaven, again, we come, often not humbly, but we wish to be humble, Father, before you, and to come boldly, nevertheless, with humility to your, your great throne of grace, that we might receive what we are in need of, and we surely are in need with the enemies attacking everywhere and the enemy-in-chief guiding and leading and empowering those many foes, Father, uh, we're often in need of your protection, your strength. In fact, we're always in need of it, not just often, but always. And so, Father, I thank you that you've given us uh, such detail in your word regarding your plan of redemption for a fallen, for a lost, for a sin-cursed and and uh, a humanity destined for ultimate and final and eternal separation from you, Father, but yet you've reached out uh, through the shed blood of your Son and his completed work to us sinners. Father, thank you for intersecting in our lives individually. Thank you for drawing us this morning here to the open book set before us, the only book which is enshrined by you, Heavenly Father, with such great truth and all other truth that at least of the spiritual sort heavenly father is uh, derived from this book and so father we are so thankful that you provided your word for us that it is certainly a lamp unto our feet and a guide for our path and without it we are blinded and unable to see our way forward so father thank you that you removed that blindness so greatly through that word of truth. And, uh, oh, my, we're overwhelmed to consider the magnitude of your glory, Father, as it's still revealed in the creation for all to see, if only their eyes would be opened. But then personally in our hearts, Father, where you work to discern between uh, the soul and the spirit and to give us understanding of these words which are so transforming and powerful, that your truth, Father, would be honored and exalted and the lies would be set aside, first of all in us and then as we speak truth in others. So, Father, thank you for the great blessing of family, giving us opportunity to have close, intimate relationships there to begin with from our earliest days and then as we grow older, to continue those blessings, Father, in family. And though not all receive the truth, the blessings of family are real and profound. And so, Father, thank you that we have opportunity to reach out to others with many uh, grandchildren represented in our group here, uh, back in school now or soon. Father, we know there are many challenges there, and the enemy certainly wants to lead and guide them away and capture them with his lies and the perversions that follow. But, Father, I just pray that you'd protect them, guide them, direct them, give them a zeal for your truth and your word, that they might live honorably in a fallen world and yet benefit as opportunities are there to learn and to prepare for the future. So we do pray, Father, for them 
each family here represented as those that we care for, Father, and love and would sacrifice anything for. And I pray that we'd be a witness and a testimony still for them. Some are suffering so greatly. And uh, so, Father, for families that are broken and uh, the workplace is divided and certainly the political sphere yeah, ever more divided than it seems as it has been before in comparison. But, Father, due to the lies of the enemy, they are truly satanic. They've captured so many and caused such destruction and damage. So, Father, I pray for what's occurring in the world. But we know, Father, that all things are under your control, Heavenly Father. You're not waiting on us for our requests to come forth, but are pleased to hear them. So, Father, we thank you that our confidence is in you. Many are suffering the consequence of evil in this world, of course, including all of us here in some ways. But, Father, we know that you're still in control. Your honor and your glory are being upheld, and your children are in the very center of your work of grace. Please give us discernment, Father, that we may also be part of the warfare, the spiritual warfare, fighting with the weapons that you've provided to us, that we might also be a benefit to others and protected ourselves from the enemy's clear intents and purposes. Please open our hearts now to your word, Heavenly Father, and give us instruction from it. In Christ's name, amen and amen. Where is that teacup? Excuse me, I'm sorry about my voice. It seems like it's uh, constantly a little bit on the edge here. Okay, so today we'll continue on with the subject introduced more specifically last time, which was the dimensions, the different dimensions, and seven really, seven dimensions, uh, different parts of Paul's teaching, which he calls collectively the mystery, the sacred secret. And we've been looking at it in some detail. And the reason, remember the reason, we're going through Colossians, and there's that great verse there in chapter 1, where Paul writes that uh, there's a mystery that's been previously hidden from ages and from generations, but is now made manifest to his saints, and it's given to him, the revelation concerning it is given to him, uh, for, he says, for you. So for these Gentile believers in Colossae, and also, of course, for all of us collectively, he said one of the purposes of giving it was to bless them. Another is to fulfill the word 
of God to complete it because it had this part of the sacred truth had been kept secret, hidden in God, according to Ephesians chapter 3. Not hidden in the word, but hidden in God. So this is more than what's found in the types and the fulfillment of those types, which, of course, go all the way back into the Old Testament and are revealed originally back there. And we saw much of that back in Genesis in our studies. So what's given to Paul is more than that. It's not just progressive teaching. It's really new. Because the body of Christ isn't found back there in the Old Testament. The church, the body of Christ, is not found back there. There is the church back there uh, in the wilderness, and that's just an assembly of believers. That's what the word church means, an assembly. But this specific assembly that has a heavenly component and an earthly component, uh, with Christ as its head and we as his members, that is revealed to Paul. Uh, for our benefit. So that's what we read back in Colossians, and that led us off to look more specifically at what the different aspects of the mystery are. We've already looked at a number of them, in fact, four so far. First of all, the new dispensation, which is, as Paul says, our current reality is how is God working today? That's what the word dispensations connoting it's what is being dispensed in other words think of it that way dispensation dispensational truth is the truth about how god is dispensing his power and glory in his people and for what purpose and what the different aspects of that are so that's what a dispensation is it's meant to be a test of mankind because we never receive the work of God fully and completely in this life because of sin and and spiritual enemies and so forth. So every dispensation ends in failure. But the failure reveals even the glory of God even more because God's work is made ever more clear that mankind, apart from the work of the Lord God, has no eternal glory. <laughs> but with within the scope of the work of, of God and his mighty purpose, his redemptive purpose, great glory is revealed and shall be revealed through all eternity, even using sinners such as ourselves for his purpose. So there was a new dispensation revealed to Paul. Then there was a better gospel, a better gospel. Paul calls it better in Hebrews. It's given for the faith of sinners. For by grace are we saved through faith. And that faith attaches itself to that truth about how God sent forth his only begotten son. You remember that well, right? Uh, He gave himself for us, shed his blood for us, sacrificed his life for us out of love. And uh, the consequence of that is that God accepted his payment for our sins and raised him gloriously from the dead because he had accomplished the purpose at that time that was set. And that was the redemptive purpose, uh, that trail of of, uh, 
crimson trail throughout scriptures concerning the coming of the Savior. So Christ is raised from the dead, and as a result, we believers benefit greatly. And so we looked at that as the third dimension of the mystery. Every benefit of Christ's work on Calvary has been fully provided. Now, we have not yet received every aspect of that, but the foundation has been laid. So every benefit. In fact, Paul writes in Ephesians that uh, we've received every blessing of God in the heavenlies, which is where our heavenly position is, sitting in Christ Jesus at the right hand of God, the Father. Okay, so we already have been gifted this. It's not for us to somehow through our works or something like that, to or working even together with God to somehow gain the benefit because somehow we have pleased God sufficiently. That's not at all consistent with the work of grace. There is growth available, yes, indeed, as we appropriate more and more of God's uh, truth and therefore know more of how he's working, and that certainly helps us to know how we should participate. But the benefits are already provided, they're already given, because they were based upon Christ's finished work. This differentiates the Pauline doctrine from every other cult in the world today. They're all based on some kind of religious work or work of faith, so-called. But the Pauline doctrine is about grace and its abundance. And that's the fourth dimension that we looked at, that an abundant and eternal life is offered freely based on Christ's righteousness, not based on ours, but based on his. Not based on his plus ours, but based upon his, an abundant and eternal life. Okay, so I'm not going to summarize those further now. That's enough. Uh, We have much to look at today. So today, first of all, the indwelling of the triune God. God is three persons in one essence. Okay, triune is the word used to describe that. Trinity. Okay, so the indwelling of the triune God, you could say the indwelling of the Trinity, providing constant resources in living. So the resources available to us by the indwelling triune God are just amazing, astounding. And these are special blessings, Paul says, that were revealed to him for us concerning how God is working under grace today. Okay, so that's the, the first uh, dimension for today. And the second is the church, which is one body given for our mutual blessing, given for our mutual blessing, the church, which is one body. Okay, so today, the indwelling of the triune God, providing constant resources in living. Now, we've already seen in Colossians 1, where Paul made that amazing statement about the mystery, right? What did he say about it? He said something about the content of the mystery. 
says something about how it was hidden and now revealed, right? But then he says in verse 27, to whom, he said it was revealed to his saints, right? To his saints, that's us. To whom, namely to us, God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, when you read these words, you should see the distinctiveness of the Pauline message showing in every way. Okay, so first of all, it's not only the glory of God. God's revealed his glory in many, many ways uh, down through every since the, the creation itself. I mean, even before mankind was created, the angels were there to perceive the glory of God in the creation, right? So God has revealed his glory in many ways down through time. Uh, this is more than that. He says the riches of the glory. The riches of the glory of this mystery that was kept secret. But now it's revealed, he says, to the Gentiles, which is, and here's the essence of the whole thing, the riches of the glory of the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And you might read that and say, I just don't see what's so distinctive about that. I mean, God always wanted believers to worship him, and he said he would bless them, and hopefully this blessing would go on forever, right? Well, nothing like that was promised to the Gentiles. But Paul is saying right here, this plan has to do with you specifically. It's not talking about Israel, you see. What God has planned for Israel has been very clearly revealed in the Old Testament all along, and then in Christ's earthly ministry, then in the the twelve apostles. I mean, very much is revealed about about Earth about Israel's uh, future blessing. Right? We're talking here about the Gentiles. Christ in you, Gentiles. Christ in you, meaning indwelling you. The hope of glory, right? So that's where we stand today. Now, in Romans 8, and I'd like us to look at that in some detail, we see this all revealed so clearly. In a moment, I'll have Patty read a few verses, but first I'll read some others. So beginning really in in verse 1, Romans 8, please follow along in your Bibles. Verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation. That's a pretty strong statement. No condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Remember, we've already talked about what that means. The righteousness of Christ imputed to our account, right? His death, his burial, and his resurrection all as one package imputed to us. Okay, and because of that, we we have because of his righteousness, we then have a new life. Okay, so uh, he says, therefore, there is now no condemnation, because if there were condemnation, you'd still be separated from God. But he says you're not. Okay, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, 
who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So he's really saying that there's this black and white division. All believers are walking not after the flesh, but after the spirit, because that is something that is made a reality by the indwelling of Christ Jesus and the other persons of the triune God. Okay, verse two, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. We are no longer bound by the law of sin and death, even though we still have a a sin nature, even though our bodies are still going to die unless the Lord intervenes first in calling us home uh, into glory, right? But uh, the law of the spirit of of, uh, uh, life in Christ Jesus is so contrary to the law of sin and death. The unbeliever still is under the law of sin and death, goes all the way back to Adam and his sin. And uh, condemnation is the result. Verse 3, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So that's where we are. Now, he's going going to go on and continue to contrast the believer and the unbeliever. This is not a contrasting of spiritual believers versus unspiritual believers or mature and immature or something like that, as so many say. This is a contrast of light and darkness. It's a contrast of, of the saved and the unsaved, the redeemed and the lost, those that have the indwelling Christ and those who do not. Okay, verse 5, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. An unbeliever only has the one mind and the one nature. It may look good because of all kinds of cultural things and teachings, even because of religion. It may look very good uh, ethically and morally and so forth. But what he says here is the carnal mind is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Okay, now these great verses. Patty? You read these great verses here that summarizes the teaching so well here as to why it is that and how it is that God has made such a black and white distinction. Romans 8, verses 8 through 11. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit 
that dwelleth in you. Okay, so there's a black and white distinction. And he says, if you don't have the spirit of God and if you don't have the spirit of Christ, you're not his. You're lost. You're lost. You're not you're not saved. You're not a believer. Right. But if Christ is in you and he is in all believers, then the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life. And God hasn't made this transformation so that it would end at our death or something like that. But there's an eternal consequence as well. So verse 11 says, If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. And so there's a future prospect that we should very very firmly attach to uh, clasping onto, clinging to always whatever the circumstances we find ourselves in. Now, that means if he's made that kind of change, it should change our lives as well, right? And that's what the next verses are all about, the changes in our lives and the hope that we have in him. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if he live after the flesh... You shall die, but if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. So we're to live in the realm of life, not in the realm of death. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. I'll never forget the paper I wrote at seminary about verse 14. I'll never forget it because it was all marked up by the teacher as being false. But... Uh, Ah, sad to say, the teacher was the one in error. Anyway, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, that's all of us. We're all led by the Spirit of God. They are the sons of God, indeed. Amen. The rest are not led by God, I'll tell you. They're led by other forces and powers. Verse 15, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage, again, fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Amen. That's what every believer has, the spirit of God indwelling, bearing witness that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so, be that we suffer with him, that he, that we may be also glorified together, together with him. So these are great, great truths. Many gifts uh, have been given to us, many blessings. Paul uses the word all <laughs> for that. Right. It's all part of his working under grace, as he said so well there back in verses eight through ten. But in Ephesians, a letter written rather later, indeed, as Paul has been imprisoned in Rome and uh, he's writing uh, pretty much a a final uh, set of documents in a number of letters. One is the Ephesians. One is to the Colossians, one is to the Philippians, and one is to Philemon. Um, written from Rome, and there he reveals the full scope of the glory of God in under grace for us Gentiles, right? And uh, he reveals it in other letters too, um, but 
it's like he's taken all of the uh, the coverings off there finally because he's writing so late, so close to the point where Jerusalem will actually be destroyed by the Romans and the Jews will be scattered and uh, the dispensation of the grace of God will, will enter into a fullness which it had not been in before because previously God was still reaching out to many Jews who had previously believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? You read about that in the book of Acts, especially the early chapters. Okay, so in the later letters, we see the full glory of God working itself out in words uh, at Paul's uh, pen. Okay, and I'd like to read about that. What do we learn if we look in... Ephesians chapter 3, Gail, I hope you're ready to read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. How is God desiring to work today, Gail? For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit and the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, According to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Do I hear any amens? Are we saying amen with Paul? I think I can hear some. Amen. Amen. Okay, great. Okay. Um, I now realize that the Ephesian church, the Ephesian church may not have had other letters. I think they did have the letter that was sent to Colossae. Okay. But they may not have had any other letters than this. They may have lived and died as believers, and this was all they had. But what if you had these words? I mean, many of them were martyred. You can be sure of that. What if you had these words to encourage you and sustain you, reading them over and over and over again, hearing them read, hearing them preached, sharing them with others, right? This is how God is working today under grace, right? Oh, my. To to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, be filled with all the fullness of God, because God is able to work exceeding abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that's working in us now. That's the power of his grace, okay? And with the Spirit of God and with Christ dwelling within us and having a new nature given to us to reflect the will of the Father, right? Because we are the children of God, the sons of God. We have his nature. So the indwelling of the triune God is giving us a power to live which is just absolutely amazing. And next uh, 
in our meeting next time, Lord willing, we'll talk more about some of the practical details of what the Christian life is all about and what its dynamic is, as revealed in Galatians chapter 5. Okay, but here Paul is giving an introduction. It says here he's exhorting, he's really praying, right? This is a prayer. I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that he would grant you. This is his prayer for them and, of course, his prayer for you and for me. That we might be able to comprehend with all the saints, all the dimensions of the love of Christ and to be rooted and grounded in this understanding. So this is an introduction. It's an introduction to what? It's an introduction to the rest of the letter, which is about very practical matters of how these great grace gifts that we've all received should work themselves out in living. Okay, And so that's what we see next. And chapter 4 is all about that. And there we see the body of Christ introduced. So let's look at that quickly here today. I wish we had more time. I really wish we had a lot more time. Hmm. Maybe I'll just give you a summary now and we'll look more into it next time. Hmm. Well, so this next point is that Paul reveals the church, which is one body given for our blessing. So Paul summarizes the teaching, first of all, in uh, chapter 4 of Ephesians, in verses 1 through 7. So, Linda, please read that for us, Ephesians 4, 1 through 7. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthily of the calling wherewith ye were called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, giving, diligently, giving diligence to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, and even also ye were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But unto each of us was given the grace given according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Thank you, Linda. So this is a summary statement. Paul has already mentioned these things earlier in passing in some cases. And later in the letter, he'll uh, write more about it. But uh, this is a summary statement. How is God working today? under the terms of the dispensation of the grace of God. Well, we have Paul as our example. He's a prisoner suffering for the sake of the Lord. It says he's learning a lot about lowliness, meekness, long-suffering. That's not suffering for a long time, by the way. Long-suffering is suffering deeply. It's not the horizontal time for it's the vertical, it's the depth, which is the emphasis. Uh, you could translate it great suffering or deep suffering. Forbearing one another in love. <clears throat> and then he says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the 
spirit in the bond of peace. Well, what is the unity of the spirit? Well, here it is. There is one body. Not two or three or a hundred or a thousand. There's one. One spirit. Even as you're called in one hope of your calling. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God and Father of all. Who is above all and through all and in you all. But ever unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So here are a number of different aspects of this working of God today, summarized in this way. What's mentioned here, the indwelling spirit of God is mentioned. Faith as the ground of our salvation is mentioned. The baptism which brings us into the body of Christ is referred to. That's not done with water, by the way. Nobody is saved by water baptism. This is the spirit baptism that places us into, as a member, an equal member, into the body of Christ, connected to the head, who is Jesus Christ himself. Okay, now all of these things were already mentioned earlier here in Ephesians or in other letters to the churches written previously, but here the emphasis is going to be on this because it is fundamental teaching that every believer needs to know, and he's summarizing it all right here, okay? It's a wonderful summary, isn't it? Uh, Just so wonderful. But note that he says something that we may have missed. I hope not. We've taught on it a number of times here before, of course, rather recently even. But what does he say there? in verse number three in linda's i guess probably new king james it says uh, um, being diligent here it says endeavoring okay that means it's a serious occupation indeed he says it should be for each of us to do what to create a new unity which will span the world and bring equality to all. No, 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 that has nothing to do with it, okay? That is not what it's about. There already is a unity, and this is the one that God has established. We're supposed to what? Keep it. That means to honor it, to preserve it, protect it. It's already kept by God, It's protected by God, but now it's up to us. Are we going to live in the light of that or not? And remember, as I said, these are practical chapters. Now, chapters one through three lead or lay down the foundational teachings, and and four through six, the practical application. Okay, so we're to keep the unity. I assure you, this is not understood by many today. Everybody's out trying to find a new way to create a unity. And that's not what this is all about. This is the unity of the one spirit, okay? And it involves the one body. There are not many bodies. There's only one. It's not a denominational thing. It's not a matter of what building people are meeting in. 
when you're having a a heart-to-heart contact with another believer, it's within the one body. If they're not believers, they're not in the one body, and there's a division, even if you agree with them on many other things, right? When we're with a believer, we have a lot in common, is what he's saying. Not everything, because there'll be all kinds of differences. We're still in this in this body and in this mind, and the fallen condition is still often leads us astray, and the enemies spiritually are everywhere, right? But we have a certain foundational unity with other believers that you do not have and cannot have with anybody who's in the world, anybody who's unsaved. Whatever organization you're part of, it's not going to match up with this unity spoken of here. Okay, so please take note of that. That's a pretty important teaching, I would say. And then we get down to the fact that the enemy hates this teaching with a passion. Okay, the enemy contradicts this teaching uh, on every side. It wants to create a different unity, which is under his leadership. That's the satanic unity. That's the one reflected in the world system. That's the one that would, if Satan had his way, lead to the one world government. That's the one that will contradict God on every side, not allow even the speech that is about how God is working under grace to occur, will shut us down if at all possible and prevent us from our witness and our testimony. And so this is written up right here, and I'd like Lydia to read that for us. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for edifying its of itself in love. Thank you, Lydia. Now, those are wonderful words, aren't they? This talks here directly to the point of how the head and the body are designed and engineered by Almighty God so that there is this not only co-equal, but a sharing of what is needed between them. So as he says there, the whole body is joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. According to the effectual working and the measure of every part maketh increase growth of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So it starts with love in verse 15. We speak the truth in love and that has its effect. And eventually the body is matured in love because of the unity of the spirit, which is being displayed here more and more through us okay so that is just amazing what does the enemy want well just the opposite of course he wants division 
He wants each he wants the groups to be defined and set apart from one another. And that way somebody else can say, oh, here's how we can all be one. We'll do it this way. We'll have a new program, a new plan, a different plan, uh, because you individual uh, groups are inherently opposed to one another. So we will fix that. And this is how we will do it. That's the enemy's lie. But God's truth is very different, as verses 15 and 16 reveal. But realize the enemy is Satan and his demons. And he works not only in unbelievers. They cannot please God, he says. But he works in believers as well when they are led astray from these fundamental truths revealed here. Okay, well, there's a lot more about the body of Christ revealed in chapter 5. And I guess uh, we'll just finish it up. So, uh, Tom, would you please read for us? Because what he now reveals is an analogy. and He's going to teach through an analogy, but it's an interesting kind of teaching indeed to use an analogy in this particular way. So, Tom, would you read for us Ephesians 5, verses 31 through 33? For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. Well, in marriage counseling, there's nothing more important than going to these verses. Nothing more important than going to these verses. I, and yet, I don't think marriage counselors usually do that because they're trying to uh, teach a different doctrine, okay? Most, most of the time. Even Christian counselors, for that matter. Uh, today, Christian counselors will often say, well, you're incompatible, so you should be divorced and be happy. Uh, my, that's not what Paul is teaching. Paul is saying God, God established marriage when he created Adam and then Eve, okay? He created it. He created them to be incomplete apart from the other okay so he says there's a unity here which he has established between the two the husband and the wife now paul clearly is assuming that they already know this because that's not the main point of the teaching here because he interrupts himself and he says this is a great mystery but i speak concerning Christ and the church. Because if we do not understand the mystery revealed through Paul concerning Christ and the church, if we don't understand properly the body, the head and the body and the relationships, then we cannot understand the, the true essence of marriage either that God has established. That's what he's saying here. Okay. So then he's able to exhort based upon that, you know, but based upon that understanding. So I'll just give you one quick example. If you know that Christ loves you with a perfect love and he's working all things together for your good, then you're going to be well able 
to properly be a partner in a marriage relationship. If you do not understand that, then you'll be for yourself, okay? Because you will not be exhorted by the love of God and the love of the Lord Jesus. You'll be uh, isolated. You'll be alone. You will not understand that perfect love covers every sin, right? You will not understand what's most fundamental. You'll not know what true forgiveness is. Well, think about the desperate condition a person is in when they do not understand any longer. Maybe they did once, but now they've forgotten what the true love of God is all about and how we also have Christ dwelling within and his life wants to manifest itself in love for one another. And in the marriage relationship, there's the most intimate relationship of all that we'll ever have in this life between two persons, right? And so... He says it's a great mystery. The mystery isn't marriage. The mystery he's talking about here is concerning Christ and the church. The marriage teaching was given way back in Genesis, right? It hasn't changed. This teaching is now given by Paul concerning the body of Christ, Christ and the church. So what a wonderful thing to know all of this. Oh, the body of Christ is such a major teaching in Paul's letters. Romans 12 is all about the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapters 10, 11, and 12, all about the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 through 4, Colossians chapter 1 through 3, these all contain Pauline teaching concerning the body of Christ. That's 10 chapters, 10 chapters in Paul's letters. So how important did he consider the teaching concerning the body of Christ to be? Well, what does he say there in chapter 4, verse 14? I, uh, Lydia just read that for us, right? He says, you need this truth so that we would not henceforth continue to be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, because of our ignorance, right, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So this is the bottom line. He says we should, we really must take it to heart, take this teaching to heart. These different dimensions of the mystery are of critical importance for our knowledge and understanding that we might know what God is doing and how we can live in this world in a way that glorifies what God is doing, not ourselves, but him. And so the body of Christ is right in the center of God's work under grace. So in the dispensation of grace, he's dispensing his grace into us and through us, and then one to another to build up the body, which will then, as he also writes there in Ephesians, be a, the habitation of God <laughs> oh, throughout all eternity, ultimately, right? Okay, what a wonderful, wonderful teaching. I'm going to read a couple of verses, and that'll be our closing today. 
from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. These things write I unto thee, to you, Timothy, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, in the house of God, how you should behave in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Oh, my. The house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. It is the church that's the pillar and ground of the truth, and that's the problem in the world today. The church is not manifesting forth the truth of God as it should be. Okay. The pillar and ground of the truth, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Lord willing, we'll look at this verse again another time, because he says here, Great is the mystery of godliness. <laughs> Amen. Well, what a blessing it is to know these different teachings given to Paul for our benefit. And we see how great the work of God is under grace. So let's not be drawn aside by other teachings, but rather cleave to these, because they're the ones that will build us up and edify us gloriously. And it's not our glory, although you can be sure as well, when God is gloried, we're going to be sharing in his glory. How about that? What a blessing to look forward to. It's even true today. When we reflect back the glory of God to him, we are seen as part of that glorious work. Amen? Lord bless you. Wow, what a blessing. Well, enjoy the Lord all. May we not forget these precious and wonderful truths and even keep looking down from our heavenly position in Christ that the things on earth may look strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father, thank you for each one here today and all the others that might perhaps listen to this teaching elsewhere, where mostly it's been your word that's been shared, not as much mine, a lot of your Heavenly Father. And uh, may that word that has power work in us to bring honor and glory to you now and always. And Father, may we be encouraged in dark and troubled times because, indeed, you are in control of all things. It's not as if you've left uh, us all just to suffer here in some terrible way, apart from your presence, love, grace, and help. But you are with us, and uh, and we are in the center of your work. And may we never forget that, Heavenly Father. And to your honor and glory we pray in Christ's name and Amen.